Well, good morning, Providence Church. Hey, that's pretty good. If you have your Bibles, you're going to want to find your way to Acts chapter 14. Acts 14. I bring greetings from Grace Church in Smyrna, and I uh, just want to say this from the very beginning, and I'm going to go a little off script for a minute, then we'll get on script. But uh, we are deeply indebted and grateful for Providence Church. Um, my history goes obviously all the way back to the very beginning of this church when it was started back in 2008. Um, but our story at Grace cannot be told without the story of Providence and its faithfulness, your faithfulness here. And we're very grateful to be a part of that story. And when Joe had asked me about a, actually about a year ago, he kind of talked about how he wanted to kind of get me in to preach around the 10th anniversary. It kind of worked out kind of well, I guess, perfectly because now you have one of your pastors in Central Asia, leading a team. You have one taking a much-needed sabbatical, and one who just married off his son, who's exhausted right now. Um, we were there, and it was a fun night last night. So um, you have amazing pastors. And then, of course, the addition of Jeff, Steve, and Jeff. Um, and I'll be a little less ambiguous than Jeff Williams. Um, I love that family, as most of you do. And uh, I know they love us because they sent their sons with us to help us get our work going over there, and those boys are doing great jobs, as well as Wes. So it's, uh, we're very grateful for what God has done in this church. And so I am, uh, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for what God is doing. I ask for you guys to be praying for one of our co-laborers over there, Josh Lefebvre, who's preaching in my stead this morning and kicking off a series in Jude. And uh, he's nervous, as you can imagine. He doesn't preach a ton, but he is doing, he does a fantastic job. He's going to be, one, he's one of our elder candidates, and uh, God has graced us with some really good leadership there. Um, so Friday will be the 10th anniversary of Providence. And as I started walking in here today, and I see so many faces, and I see so much, some, just seeing the property again. Of course, I'm here a lot. I kind of duck out in your office every once in a while. And, um, but coming on site here and coming here for worship, it just brings back so many memories, uh, so many good memories, sometimes not so good memories for some of us who are here at the very beginning, um, and some stories I probably shouldn't tell uh, about some folks in this room. Um, I will not because they'll tell worse ones about me. All right, but, um, but I'm glad you're here this morning. I, I just, here's my goal today, is just to kind of encourage you to keep on keeping on. Because if you don't keep on keeping on, churches like me don't get planted, like ours don't get planted. And like I said before, our church's story cannot be told without telling the story of Providence in a lot of ways. And so that's what I hope to impart to you this morning is to help you keep on keeping on for, for 10 more, 20 more, perhaps 50 more. And, and God, to, to bless what you're doing because um, the work matters. Your investment matters. And it matters to us. We are merely two and a half years into our own journey, and the work is hard, and we got a long way to go before we're self-sustaining, but God has been gracious to us, and a large part of that's because of the investment in this, from this church. So this morning from Acts 14, I want to show you four ways to, 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 to stay on track, to keep on going, even sometimes when we maybe get a little comfortable and when we get a little bit, hey, we've kind of arrived we have that kind of feeling as a church, it's easy to kind of go, okay, we've done our part, but no, friends, we are far from doing our part. We've, we've done, we got so much more work to do, and I pray that Providence will be a part of that story. We want to plant more churches at Grace, 
And we hope that we can, plant, we can partner with Providence to plant more churches. And, uh, and, God, and we're just, that's what we're praying for constantly in our church. Um, but we got to get ours planted first, right? I mean, that's just how it works, right? Um, so Acts 14, let me give you a little context of what's happening here in this text, leading into this text this morning, because that will help set us up. So if you were to go back to Acts 13, you would know that things have begun to kind of shifted uh, from the, the, for the Jerusalem church, right? Jerusalem church is starting to see some, uh, a lot of hard times. And so the epicenter of the church has now shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch, a little more north, more in the, in the more central regions of the Roman Empire. And, and so the church there, Antioch, has become probably the most influential church of its day. All of the leaders were there. And, um, and this is a church that, this is a, and this is a culture where this church is established, is very foreign to Greco, I mean, I'm sorry, to Jewish Christian proselytes. I mean, this is an impossible area to preach the gospel. So many belief systems, so many different things that people encounter each and every day, and it's not going in there. You, don't, you have no familiarity on which you're preaching, no, no foundation on which you're preaching the gospel when you go into the Roman Greco Roman world. Excuse me. It's much like we have today, right? I mean, we, we have to recognize that we are not a churched nation anymore. And some of us bemoan that. But some of us need to embrace it because we need to go take the gospel to it. And that's what we're hoping to do at Grace in our own story. But there's two things that emerge about this particular story that are incredibly encouraging to me. One is, um, it is a church that is committed to advancing the gospel. No matter what it costs and what, what kind of, what kind of, uh, uh, of um, a cost it has to them. They want to preach the gospel. There in the first three verses of chapter 13, it says, now there were in the church Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, the, um, a lifelong friend of Herod, a tetrarch, and Saul. And when they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then they fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. This church knew that it was not called to just establish a local body of believers. It was meant to be part of a larger story of advancing the gospel to the nations. They saw this window open, they saw God's call, and they recognized that Barnabas and Paul were uniquely called for that task. It's very much like the story we had here at Providence. You had, originally, it was Joe, John, and myself who helped were the original pastors here. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it was hard because these are my best friends. And their wives were my wife and our best friends. We love them. We love their kids. And, and we, we wanted to, we would, if it was up to us, I told our, I told our church one time about in the, in the context of, you know, how to develop community. If community in the church is about finding your best friends, then we would have never planted Grace Church. We love this church. We have many friends here. But sometimes you sacrifice those friendships for the good of the glory of God and for the good of other people. And so that's what this church is about. It's about sending and a gospel advancement no matter what the cost. But it's also a church that I can't help but take my, put my finger on this. It's a church that's committed to preaching the gospel to a diverse community. All these men that are listed here are from various backgrounds and various ethnicities. And they're committed to preaching the gospel no matter where because they knew that their gospel was not monolithic. It was multi it was multicultural. It was meant for the whole world. We're finishing up part of our Genesis series, and, and we finished up yet, uh, this past week in um, the Tower of Babel. And we see way back then that God had an intention to spread his fame to the nations, even if the nations didn't, didn't want to go there. Well, we see now in the church that God has finally made his promises true, and he sends the church to the nations. 
He sends us to the cities. He sends us to different communities to plant churches. And so those are two things that stand out to me about this, this church, this background of what, what we see here in this text. And so Paul and Barnabas are commissioned to go out. They're preaching the gospel. They're planting churches. And they find themselves here in chapter 14 in the city of Lystra. And Lystra is just a, a typical Greco-Roman area and has all kinds of pagan worship there, has all kinds of different, um, uh, different kinds of worship and belief systems there. And and, and, and sometimes Paul, one moment here in, in, the, in chapter 14, we see Paul and Barnabas are venerated like gods. And other times, they're almost ready to be stoned. This is the reality of being God's people in this world. To be God's people in this world means it's not about us finding a certain position and standing within the world and within the, the, the leadership and the influencers of the world. It's about us preaching a gospel that's uncommon to the world. That the world is not suspecting. And sometimes the work is good and sometimes the work is not. We can say that at Providence, and if you were here 10 years ago, you know what it was like those first couple years and the things and challenges we had to face during that time. One story that reminds that, that I just... It is, it's as vivid as a day as, as it was yesterday, but I remember six months after we launched that church, this church had O'Charlies. Yeah, that's a long time ago. And uh, we're meeting in their training center about six months, give or take, maybe five months. We came to a moment, which I won't go into details about that moment. We didn't know where we were going. We were crying in that room. There was about eight, ten men in that room. I can name most of them. And we didn't know what God was going to do. And I just remember us all sitting there, and I, I don't know, I think it may have been Jeff who said this. He's like, okay, boys, what do you want to do? Talking to me, Joe, and John, and we're like, you know, we can just shut this thing down. We can shut this thing down. This, you know, we, we brought you into a mess, and we can shut this thing down. Russell, I think, was there as well. And we'll just make sure you guys can go on about your business and seek out other ministry other, way, other, other places. And I just remember us all with tears in our eyes saying, we don't know where this is going, but we got to trust the Lord in it. If we had not made that decision today, you wouldn't be sitting here right now. Providence wouldn't have been, I mean, grace wouldn't have been planted. We wouldn't be training elders for our work over there. And I'm deeply and just grateful for what God has done through that. So then we get here and we see here in Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're preaching the gospel here in, in Lystra. And we pick up there in verse 21, as Angela read earlier, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. The first way we and you keep going is to continue to strengthen what we've planted. That includes strengthening this body, but also strengthening the bodies that we've invested. And that's what you see here in Paul and and Barnabas. They're preaching the gospel, they're planting churches, and they're then going back around and they're checking on the disciples that they've been preaching to. They want to make sure that these these guys and these these families are are being able to stand strong in the face of all the the difficulties that they're facing in their culture, this very anti-Christ culture that they were planting in. They strengthened what they had planted. Their ministry philosophy was pretty simple. I wonder if we have enough guts 
to continue to be focused on such a simple ministry philosophy. They preach the gospel, number one. How many churches are just so worried about trying to keep people in a room that, we, that the, the gospel's preached, but sometimes it's a second-tier reality? Now, these men were radically committed to preaching the gospel. They were radically committed to making disciples. And they were committed to strengthening what they had planted. I, for one, as I look around, and maybe I'm just being a cynical church planter here, so forgive me for a moment. I wonder how complicated we make the church sometimes. Now, this is part of my hope and encouragement to you, but I would say this to my church as well. I wonder how complicated we make the church sometimes. I mean, think about the things that are supposedly we use to kind of say, well, that's what makes a church. I mean, as a church planner, there's no amount of stressors that come my way saying, you got to have this, you got to have that, and you got to, this is going, if you don't have this, then people aren't going to want to stay. And, you know, I sit there every, I can burn a verge of tears on most weeks going, okay, but we don't, we're not even close to having those things. Not even close. How's your music? Your worship band. One of the things that we're fortunate to have is we have a very competent worship team in our church, and we're grateful for them. But even then, like when we first started the first year, Jordan every week would come to me going, uh, is it just going to be me forever playing guitar up here in front of everybody? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But God in his grace brought Wes and brought other people. We brought but other people, even from our youth ministry. Our youth ministry pretty much made our, from here, made our worship band over there in a lot of ways. Um, how's your kids' ministry? You know, if you don't have a kids' ministry, if you don't offer certain things, then people aren't going to want to stick around. How's your building? If you don't have a building, you know, people just don't take you seriously. Or, or what, if, what if, do I have people my age in this church? Politics, my interests, my station in life, my, my, my. I'm afraid that the church in America has become so consumeristic that we've forgotten what the, what the simple vision has been that we see here in, in, in Barnabas and Paul, preaching the gospel, making disciples, and strengthening what we have planted. I've had people over the last couple of years remind me when I'm on the verge of just like, oh, we're going to make it. They look at me and they'll go, it's okay for you to act your age. I wish someone had told me that like 10 years ago when we started this thing because, you know, I was not acting my age. But it's okay for church plants and churches to act their age. It's okay for you to act like a 10-year-old church. It's okay for us to act like a two-and-a-half-year-old church. It's okay for God to, to do this, and it's only in those moments when we realize we are not all we think we are, and it's when we realize that that God begins to do something powerful in it. We can act our age. Like Paul and Barnabas's like ministry philosophy is simple, and it's stupid simple, right? But it's so simple that we wonder, is that all it is? And we get uncomfortable with that because, it, and I was even having my little moment last week or two weeks ago, and I sat down with Josh and Delon, and I was like, I, I, I'm just a little bit like nervous energy right now. And they're all like, do you trust that if you just preach the gospel, God will do what he wants? That's why God sent us out with those men. But what if we committed? What if providence like, just remembered, and maybe you are there, I hope you are there, but maybe we need to remember, and our church needs to remember, that we just committed ourselves to this kind of radical simplicity as a church. 
to strengthen what we have planted, to train up in sound doctrine, to to make disciples in every way we do, to to help people have a fluency in the gospel and understand the gospel? What if we are a church that's about connecting disciples to meaningful family life in the church? What if that's what the mission of God is? What if the mission of God is to point people where they are and trusting that God's going to use them wherever you go when you leave these doors, this building, this afternoon? We strengthen what we plan in. That's messy. That's ugly. You can put all kinds of programs around it. You can put all kinds of structures around it. But none of those structures really ever hold very long. We train, we preach, and we pray, and we trust. So we strengthen what we plan, number one. Number two, we encur- we, they encourage them not to give up. This is what we see Paul and Barnabas doing when they go in there. Look at verses 22. they strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations you must, you must enter the kingdom of God. That word encourage there is so powerful. There's two implications to it. It comes from the word parakaleo. And in it, there are two aspects of this that are very encouraging for us if we begin to think about what encouragement looks like here. And if maybe this is an encouragement to you, and I can act, you know, and what, is your, what does it look like for you guys for the next 10 years? First is, the word literally means earnest support. In other words, Paul and Barnabas came into this and they gave earnest support. They, they, were, they were sent out by Antioch and, and they would go back and report to Antioch, which we'll see here in a moment, and go back to Antioch and they would go, this is what this church needs and we need to make it happen. This church over here is struggling with this. We need to make it, we need to help them earnest support. Do what it takes to keep these disciples from failing. Do what it takes to keep them from getting discouraged and, and wanting to walk away from the work. We're, we're, again, we're grateful for this church. I see Joe and John and Chad and Debbie most every week, at least at some point. And I know that I come here and I have a, I have a, I have a safe place to land. We have friends in our other network that we participate in called Acts 29, and these guys are always checking in on me, and they're making sure, hey, we know how hard this is. Don't pretend like it's okay for you to let it go. You can share that with us. Earnest support. They do what it takes. I'll I'll break this out a little bit more here in a minute. But the second aspect of this is to, to exhort to continue. To exhort to continue. That's the, that is to stay in the game. That's what the job is for this church. You're established now a little bit, and it's your job to say, stay in the game, Tom, whoever else. We helped plant Shane England a couple years ago, Resonate Church, a few years ago. Stay in the game. We, we would go and we would make sure, hey, uh, hey, bro, stay in the game. What's interesting about this idea of parakaleo, it's where we get the idea of paraclete, the spirit of God, the encourager. The role of spirit in our life is this very thing, is to provide earnest support, to provide us strength when we don't have the strength to carry on, to, to, to exhort us to continue on, that, that it's going to get better, it's going, there's a better day coming. But what we find here in this particular text, this is not a reference to the Holy Spirit, although the Holy Spirit's very much in play here. It's, it's the church that assumes this responsibility. It's the church at Antioch through Paul and Barnabas that assumes this responsibility of earnest support and exhortation to continue. They would not let these disciples they had planted into new churches go at it alone. They would supply earnest prayer for them. I know you pray for us. I know you do. I feel it. 
I'm told about it. I have people who check in on us from here. They would supply their last dollar. Like you see this in, in Thessalonian church. Man, if you go back and read that, it's such a wonderful story. Here's a church that had nothing. But when the church in Jerusalem was suffering, they gave their last penny to make sure that church survived. They carried the burdens and the afflictions themselves when the Jerusalem church was suffering. They didn't live as if they, they didn't have an obligation to that church. Okay, you're doing your deal now. Okay, great. We preach the gospel to you. Our hands are done. No, that's not the picture we see. We see constant like overlapping of churches loving churches and churches planting churches and churches caring for churches kind of reality. But it's so easy especially, I think, in our American context to kind of create our own little gospel silos, right? Be in our own little box. We do our thing. I talk to my church all the time. It's easy just even now, two and a half years, to get kind of settled with the the families that God has brought to us. No, Paul and Barnabas, the church of Thessalonica, the church of Antioch, they loved other churches. They encourage them, don't give up. Stay in the game. God's been so good to us as a church. You know, we've seen God do some pretty awesome things. We baptized a couple on Easter this year who come out of the Mormon faith. God in His grace created a relationship between Amanda and I and them through soccer, and it just kind of went from there. It's a two-year relationship. Stay in the game. Maybe you have people in your own life, and you're saying, how do I, you know, these people continue to like kind of spur me. They kind of keep me at arm's distance, and, you know, they don't really want to hear this gospel message from me. Listen, just be good friends. You will be surprised at what might happen. I can testify that, at least in Paul and April's story. But the work is hard. God brings us good people. God sends out good people. And you know, when you're a young church, man, you feel that, right? You do. I remember we felt it when early days here at our church, God would bring us some people and you're like, oh, why is he taking them away? But he did. And you don't really know it until you're in it, but you go, all right, Lord, I'm, I, I, I have to trust you. But even in all of that, I know I have a church here that I can come to and I can ask you, stay in it with us. We're far from done. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the fact that that's where you are and that's where your pastor's hearts are in this church. Because if it wasn't for that, I may not be in the game. It's just that simple. Paul and Barnabas set out a model of making sure that these churches had what they needed to thrive. Even so much as you see this model in, in Paul, like kind of what happened with us, they, you sent out one of your pastors and sent out some of your best leaders to help us plant grace. It's kind of the same model we see of Paul. He would take Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus different places, and sometimes you just leave them there. Hey, I need you to stay here, help get elders set up, help this church get along. You know, it had to be hard. That had to be hard for him. He invests in these guys, and all of a sudden, he's got to let them go. This is just the way the gospel works. Third way. They didn't walk away until the work was done. Similar to the last point, but it's still important for us to kind of think about it a little bit more. Verse 23 says it again. Um, 
It says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church and with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. See, what Paul knew was that this church, its, its greatest resource will be its foundation with good, solid leaders. They knew that we, they couldn't walk away. They couldn't maybe temper their support. They couldn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't, whatever it looked like, they couldn't do it until this church had, these churches had good elders and pastors to lead the church. We're fortunate in our church to have already installed some deacons, and we're, in, we're training a couple of elders in our church, and God has been grateful and glorious in showing us some awesome things. We've got other men who will probably soon fall in behind them and be elder training next year by God's grace. But they stayed in the game to make sure qualified leadership was there because it was on that place. No matter how much money you had in the bank, no matter whether you had a building or you were meeting in a park or you're meeting under a tree somewhere, that didn't matter. If you had leaders who were going to lead it, God was going to use it. Again, we have men in our church and that have just been so faithful to this and we're, th- we're excited about getting this guy installed hopefully by the first of the year. I don't know that in this passage, this is an example of an ordination council. It seems to me it might be that they had appointed elders from them in every church. So, but the, what I do see is that when you plant churches, the churches that plant the churches have a vested interest in making sure that church has good leadership. And sometimes we get so in our little, again, congregational silos that we realize, hey, it's, I, I, I want to make sure. So I, it's, it's wonderful that I have Joe and John and Chad and, and other guys and other churches in the area who will check in and make sure, hey, how is that going? Do you have the leadership you need? What is God doing? What do you need in that regard? And God has shown his faithfulness in that regard. No matter how independent and how separate we are, I can tell you as a church planter and you look at the next 10 years, stay in the game with us. Because you just, the work's not done. It will not be done for a long time. Well, we know it won't be done until Jesus comes back. But nonetheless, we've got a long way to go. And four, and this is my favorite part of this entire text. This is my favorite part of this entire text. Verse 24 through 28. And then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word there in Perga, and they went down to Atalia, they, and from there they sailed to Antioch. So he's going back through, and they're, they're checking up on all these churches and disciples they had planted, and they're on their way back to Antioch, the original church that sent them. And here's what they're going to do, where they had been commended by the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. So they had been sent out, verse 27. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, so they gathered the Antioch church together, they declared all that God had done through them and how he had opened up a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Number four, they celebrated often what God was doing among them. They celebrated often what God was doing among them. That's what Paul and them, as they're heading back and they're, they're sending church, they're, they're collecting all these stories and they want to go back and they want to go. They just want the elders there in Antioch to just be amazed at what God had done through them in whatever it has been, a few months or so since they had left out, and, or even a couple years, I think it actually was. They celebrated what God was doing. Friends, there's nothing more important we can do in God, to be a gospel-advancing church is to celebrate what God does. When was the last time you celebrated what God was doing in your church? I hope you do it often. 
They gave reports of the work. And again, a last sentence there. They had no, they spent no little time together. Man, they just sat around. They reveled in God's work. They reveled in it. And if it's okay with you, I want to do a little foolish reveling with you for just a few moments as we finish up. I asked Joe if I could have permission to do this, and he was happy for me to do this. We're going to do a little number game. Is that okay with you? Now, I know we don't like doing this. Pastors try to act humble enough. We don't want to talk about numbers, but we're going to talk about numbers just for a few minutes. Is that okay with you? Because I was here in the very beginning, so I'm just going to take a little bit of privilege on this one, all right? 275, first number. That was the approximate number of people who showed up to O'Charlie's training center the very first Sunday, July 20th of 2008 on Sitco Drive. 275 men, women, and children. I wish I could say it went great from there, but it didn't. (laughs) If you were here, you know. About six months later, um, and I say this from a pastor who was on staff during this time, there was three full-time pastors at this point six months later and a full-time ministry assistant. There was about 150 people left. Well, 150 on average attendance. We probably had a few more than that, but we averaged about 150 or so. So sometimes you grow by subtraction, I guess. Um. But God grew us more than just the numbers during that six months and those two years. He grew us through learning and humility and tears. Fast forward a few years, 250. 250, that's with kids and maybe 240, 250 people, kids and adults that were in this building about a year or so after we had opened it. Uh, maybe it's two years. Did we open it in 2013? 14. So a year, out, spring of 2015. About 250 people on average Sunday here with kids and everything. With the kids, of course, over there and the adults and all your armed people out in the parking lot. I don't really know what y'all are doing there. Um, but, oh, I'm not supposed to say that, am I? So, all right. Um, a few months later, August of 2015, 33. 33 people were commissioned to go plant a church in Smyrna. My family and I with about seven other families. 33 adults and children. How in the world? And many of you are asking the same questions. Really? Really? This is our plan? (laughs) It was. A couple months later, January 2016, 56, for our first service as a church. The next week, 41. That was a discouraging week. We averaged about 45 people those first few months in our worship service until about the fall. Today, through the spring, through now, um, well, not counting summer because everyone's got to go on vacation this summer, right? About 90 or so people, average attendance, come to Providence on a given Sunday, through the spring at least. If you put everyone together from where Providence lands now, 
Again, 150 people after six months of being together, more than double that, gather in two churches on Sunday, ten years later. And that may seem insignificant to a lot of people. You can go to a lot of churches and they have a lot better numbers than that. And even more than that is 131. 131 people have been baptized into Christ in that 10 years. 131 people. 131 lives have been changed for the kingdom. Will we revel in these numbers? Multiplication works. God brings people in and out of churches. And this doesn't even count the many people who come in the doors here. They're here for a season and God moved them on to somewhere else. I mean, that's, that's story, that happens everywhere we go. And there are good reasons why people leave churches and there's bad reasons that people leave churches. But here's the thing. God in this 10 years, has saw fit to take something that was a little mess and to grow it into two, what I believe, two healthy churches today. And who knows what he's going to do in the next 10 years? Who knows what he's going to do in the next 10 years? So let me finish up. Two encouragements for us as we leave this place. And I want to make a pact with you as a pastor, Grace Church, with you as a congregation here at Providence. Two things, and I'm going to do them really quickly. One is party hard right now. Ten years in, look what God has done. Not you, not the building campaign, not the money that's in the account, but look what God has done in ten years. Ten short years. I'm, I'm amazed. I'm like, I've been here 10 years now, 11 years in January when my family moved to Nashville. 10 years, and this is what's happened. It's time to party, and it's time to celebrate. It's time to revel in what God has done. And make sure that is, when you're going to your groups tonight, okay, critique me all you want to, um, but go and talk about what God has done. And then go and talk about, number two, gearing up for the next 10 10 years. Don't just party, but use as an impetus to go gear up for 10 more years, 20 more years, and get after it, Providence. The story is not even, com- not even close to being complete. We're just 10 years into this, and by God's grace, 10 years from now, you're going to have two churches that are, just, that are going to be planting two more churches, and who knows what God will do? Who knows what He wants to do? See, this kind of, this kind of ministry, this, it's not sexy. It's, it's not flashy. Baptist newspapers don't write about churches like us, and I'm not, that's not, the, not, not criticism. And books don't write, the churches, people, leaders don't write books about our story. But that's the story that's written all over Scripture. God doing the impossible in the midst of very normal circumstances, very everyday circumstances. See, God's grace is written on the hearts of hundreds of people because of what's happened over the last 10 years. There are people sitting in this room who were in a church all their life, but in some way didn't even know the gospel until this thing got going. I'm going to pick on you for a minute, okay? Jeff, sorry, Jeff. Because Jeff picked on me, I'm going to pick on Jeff a little bit. When I first decided I wanted to plant a church, 
I reached out to Jeff because if, Jeff, if anyone's going to talk me out of it, Jeff's going to do it. Um, and we went to eat Mexican at that place up there on Nolensville Road. And uh, I was a little nervous because, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen, you know. And um, here's what Jeff said. He goes, you know what? Before I met you, goofy three guys that came along a few years ago, I had it all mapped out. I was going to teach my little Sunday school class in my church. I was going to have my, I was going to do my thing. And that's what it was. That's what it was. And then he says, all of a sudden you guys come along and God's moving me to adopt. God's, I'm, 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 I'm planting a church here. I'm teaching college kids. And what, what is this all about? And so he just basically said, you know what? I just have to believe, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, that he can do this too. He can do it too. All right, I'm having a joke moment here, so sorry. Providence, keep on keeping on. What you do matters. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you are doing in this church, in a grace church across the way. And God, by your grace, you're going to continue doing what you're doing. So God, help us keep on keeping on. If we do not depend on you, we will not do it. Thank you, Jesus. God, this morning, as those are here, maybe there's people here that just need to know they need to be part of that story. God, would you just move in their hearts in some way today? Amen.